that was that was tough. And like I said earlier, you know, um, I remember getting down on my hands and knees and throwing up because it was so bad. I felt for my family. I felt for my clients. Um, you know, again, I was writing checks because I had employees to take care of. You know, they still needed a monthly check. <laughs> so, um, but you know, everybody needs to go through one of those times to to learn how to be tough and learn how to see the moment, see the opportunities. And if you go in with your eyes shut and you want to go crawl in a hole, well, so be it. But you know what? You're going to miss out. You're going to miss out on something. And I took advantage of it. And that's when we went out and bought some real estate. And um, business was slow to recover. That didn't happen quickly, but it did. And Finally, by the time we got through that, you know, my business is back doing better than it ever had. So, um, yeah, I, that. So, what did I learn from it? I learned um, that you don't walk away from those periods. You don't put your tail between your your leg and 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 cry about it. Fix it. You know. So, um, I'm a fix it guy. His name is Mike McReynolds but everyone that knows him just calls him Mac. Life and business for Mac started out at a young age with working jobs at a gas station, insulation work, and later running a furniture store. His work ethic opened the doors for many opportunities, including buying his first home at the age of 19. Listen to Mac's amazing journey of starting a successful wealth management firm, navigating the devastating financial crisis of 2008, and coming out stronger on the other side on today's episode of The Founders Pod. The Founders Podcast. Listen to the stories of how everyday extraordinary people start amazing businesses. Hear how they overcome the odds and find success in the entrepreneurial world. The up and down, the good and the bad, and everything in between. And now, your hosts, Jordan Hansen and Brandon Minard. Okay, we're here. In with a bang. Right. Bang. Welcome everybody to this week's edition of the Founders Pod. I'm here. My name is Brandon Miner. I'm here with my co-host Jordan Hansen and Matt Lamb. Welcome. Hey, Brandon. Gentlemen. Hey. Matt. Really excited to bring our guest today. I've known him for a little bit of time. A friend of mine, actually related to one of the one of our my coworkers at United Commercial Insurance, but somebody that's had a long career in financial advising. He's been uh, he owned and was a partner in the Perpetua Group. Yes. Uh, financial advising firm in Boise, and he's run that for a long time. But our guest today is Mac McReynolds. Mac, welcome. Thank you. Nice to be here. Awesome. So excited to get to know Mac. I've been chasing him around for like eight months. In fact, at one point we were golfing, me and my brothers, and I was like, you know, I know the guy that's a member here, and he's, you know, he's the dad of one of my coworkers. I'm trying to get him on. And then just a few feet down from me was Mac on the driving range. And I was like, speak of the devil. <laughs> there he is. And I was like, can't get away from me. Did you ask him then? 
I did. Yeah. Well, and well, Max. So Mac, you're big into cycling. Yes. Max, very fit guy, and he's like, "Look, I'm cycling Oregon, cycling to Hawaii. I've ridden to like." Wait, no. cycling to Hawaii? No, he didn't okay, say that. But say. he did, like, cycle <laughs> to Oregon. Cycle. It's a different bike. <laughs> and so, no, we're happy to get him on. And uh, I've known Mac, your daughter, for a while. She's worked with United Commercial Insurance. Uh, Got to say, we're broadcasting from the United Commercial Insurance studio. United Commercial Insurance, we do business insurance, business auto, business contractor, business owner policies, anything with business, we'll do it. Give us a call. 45 states, big or small, we do them all. United Commercial Insurance, 208-229-8222. And we are also broadcasting this onto YouTube. We are here on YouTube. Yeah. And if, hey, if you're here watching us, you can see we have a camera. And it's actually just one camera. And it it's smart. It kind of listens to who's speaking and it kind of makes the camera attached to them. But it does a max of three in the individual shots. And at the top, you can see over there. See up here? Right. Up here, you can see uh, the right. panoramic up there. But... So it may fade in and out as people talk and don't talk. Some of them will go in and out because it just selects the three most recent speakers. Yeah. I thought it was the three best looking at that time. <laughs> and you're, at, that, oh, yeah. oh, at the I'm time on, they're I'm talking. <laughs> well, it's going to be on me the whole time. <laughs> there you go. All three cameras on back. Uh, well, we're a bit, we have a big following on YouTube. Right. You know, so we got to put that out there. I think we had huge 17 viewers as of last check. So essentially viral. Brand new, right? World. That was the first video. But that's there. up how many percentage points over what it was before? 170,000 yeah. percent. Yeah. So hey, that's exactly. about that math. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but sure. whatever unlimited percent from zero is that's where we're at. So we're going to get into it. So Mac, thanks for joining us. To get started, if you wouldn't mind, uh, we have many viewers all over the world, but uh, sometimes our viewers are like, look, we don't understand what you're guests do so if you could describe what you did for perpetual group uh your role and kind of the day-to-day functions that you accomplished there well i uh it was a 37 year career so um started right out of college but uh so uh i was kind of an entrepreneur from the very beginning you know i remember in just out of high school i bought and sold cars and that's what i wanted to go into i wanted to go i wanted to own a car dealership but um, the aggressive person I was, I wanted to go quick and didn't have the money. So, um, anyway, got trained and licensed, um, mid eighties in the business, um, went to work for a big wall street firm. Um, and, uh, then in, uh, when you say in the business, that means like the finance industry. Is that what you're yeah, saying? Yeah. Yeah. So in our business, you're an entrepreneur from the very beginning. You're building a book, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, it has some value, but over time, I, I could see that I needed to go independent. So I did that in 1997, left my business, just walked away from it and started over. So that's a kind of a risky thing to do when you have three kids, you know, to step away from a business. So you're making a lot of money, but you just go to go capture that business. It's like if you're in the insurance business and you shut down and started somewhere else, you move all your clients over. But initially we, we called ourselves quote stockbroker, you know, um, that's what it was referred to back then. But over time we became independent. Uh, we did that in 97. Like I said, I left a wall street firm, started our own firm and, um, with one partner at the time, his name was Bob Rathbone. So we called it Rathbone McReynolds. Um, that's like a long website domain, you know, Rathbone McMahon or McReynolds. Yeah. A good website. Yeah. So, um, 
then, uh, so we went independent. We left our business. It was just, it was a scary thing. I got to tell you, it was a scary thing because you went from making a lot of money to no money. And it took about six months to get back on track. But um, then we, um, uh, then we took on another partner. So we had three partners. Um, you know, we were managing close to a billion dollars in assets. So we had a pretty good sized firm. And, uh, and then, um, so Mac, I'm going to stop you real quick. Yeah. Um, so what, what was the major thing that pushed you into starting over and kind of breaking off and going out on your own? Um, and, and, and how did you feel during that time? Wanted the total independence, mm-hmm. you know, because when you work for a Wall Street firm, you're still kind of an employee, right? Even though if you're successful with the firm, they let you go. They let you do what you, what you need to do. But um, the value of my business wasn't nearly as much as if I went independent. So uh, I read a book way back when. It's called Built to Sell. I'd recommend it to anybody that has a business. It's a quick read. You can literally read it in two days. And it taught me a lot about how to uh, set your business up for success as well as being able to sell it. And, um, you know, I always said I have, uh, I have three assets. I have my uh, real estate assets, I have my stock investments, and then I have what my ba- business is worth. And they were about a third, a third, and a third. And... Uh, so I wanted to maximize that. So that, that my motivation there was to maximize the business, the freedom um, to run your own business the way you want to. Uh, we became more true advisors. We were money managers. We managed our own assets. So um, it, 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 it was the right thing to do. And I do not look back on that at all. Although at the time, like I said, it was, it was a scary move. Sure. So uh, again, just to recap a little bit, it was... Uh, you were in short, uh, like a financial advisor. So if I have wealth or money, I want to just have decisions, uh, help with how to allocate that w- w- wealth. You're the kind of guy I would talk to or to yeah. be more like businesses helping with their pension plans that both. It's both. It's both. It's both. It's wealth management. Yeah. 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 Um, our firm mostly did dealt with high net worth people. We had some businesses just because some of our, a lot of our clients were entrepreneurs and so they had businesses as well. So we would do the retirement plans for their businesses and manage some of their assets as well, and whether it be just the cash assets or some of their, some of their assets they want to grow. So um, it, 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 it was a fairly broad spectrum, but we focused mostly just on high net worth individuals. So I want to back up pretty far before we get too far into the story. Are you originally from Idaho? No. Okay. Um, born in Orange County. Um, uh, was a Rams and uh, USC Trojan fan. Okay. <laughs> Still? Uh, well, Rams won the Super Bowl last year. <laughs> yeah, you know? not so a bad. It took a while. It took a while. So <laughs> even when the Rams moved out, you followed them to St. Louis, Yes, right? yep. There was, and then yep. pretty happy when they moved back? Or did oh, yeah. 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 Uh, bucket list is to go down to SoFi, too. I got I to gotta do that someday. So anyway, yeah, last year was a great year. But I'm just from L.A., so I have those roots. My dad went to USC, so um, that's who we followed. But you know, back when I was a kid, he had three stations to watch. So, and that's all you watched: is ABC, Rams. NBC, CBS. Is right. that right? Yeah, and then I think Fox came on. Yeah, Fox was a little bit later. Yeah, but yeah, right. So, you have to be a certain age to know all those things. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, 
But then as a kid, uh, my parents divorced, so we had a broken family there for a while. My dad, uh, my dad got possession of the kids, an really? eight and a 10 year old. Were you the 10 year old or the eight year old? I was the eight year old. Okay. So you had a younger, you had an older sibling. I did. Okay. Yes. And, um, so, um, my dad just wanted to get out of LA. He didn't like it. So the opportunity came up. He was with IBM. So IBM transferred him to Boise and, uh, so my brother and I and my dad got up and moved to Boise, Idaho. Wow. And when I got here, it was like, I don't know, I don't even think it was 150,000 people here. You know, that was 1968. So, but my has it grown since then. Yes, yeah. it has. But, um, yeah, I, I uh, yeah, I got Southern Cal roots, but Idaho is my home. How long, you, did your dad work for IBM his whole life? Uh, yeah, he had a stint where he went into the real estate business. He had a pretty thriving practice at one time, but, uh, you know, the Great Recession real estate, which hit the late 70s here, late 70s, early 80s, um, he didn't survive. So uh, he went back to IBM. What did he do for IBM? Um, he basically ran the, the division that fixed all the parts, hmm. you know, so he was a techie. Um, but as you recall, IBM was the, the select track uh, typewriter, which at some point became a computer, right? But uh, it was mostly typewriters back then. But uh, yeah, it was a good career for him, and he ended up retiring from him yeah. at age 52. So, um, but, uh, you know, it was a downturn there that he went through. But uh, so I just graduated from high school at the, the time this was all happening. Um, Got accepted at University of Washington. That was a plan. And then my dad said, um, that ain't going to happen unless you want to take out student loans or something to get it done. Um, so I had a change events, and I just said, well, you know, you guys go on. I'm just going to stay here. So I bought a house at 19 years old. <laughs> it was my first investment, so to speak. Worked out well. I mean. Where'd you get that money? Yeah. Um, you know, I always worked. So it's just you'd saved up during like waiting tables? Yeah. Um, no, actually, you know, my first, well, I shoot, I worked in a gas station. I put, uh, did insulation work. Um, but my real step up was, and it's got me through college is I worked through a, uh, for a furniture store. They had eight stores, started in the warehouse as a kid, you know, and then became the main buyer for all the products. So I used to travel around and go to shows and stuff. As like a teenager. Um, yeah, I was about 20 at okay, that time. Okay. So after you'd purchased the house? Um, well, I made enough money doing that to, okay. to buy the house. Now, did you? I mean, back then, you know, you, I mean, I, I, yeah, I, sure. I, I mean, I think three or $4,000 was my down payment. Right. I mean, a house is only $40,000. Yeah, but annual know? salary is like thirty-five dollars or $40,000 a year. Well, not back then. <laughs> it was way less. Than <laughs> it was that. less than that, like even right. Ten to yeah. twenty, or um, yeah, I think you know, I was probably making twenty five grand a year. You're feeling good. I was making more than a lot of adults. Yeah, you know. Yeah, but yeah. I, I ended up running this the whole franchise at the end. I was like, you know, vice president of operations at wow. twenty one. Uh, the whole operation at twenty one years old. I ran. You? I ran the retail stores. Did all the buying. Um, traveled among all the stores. We had promotions, and I had to show up for all those. But I was doing this while going to school, too. I was working 60 hours a week with a full-time, uh, you know, credits. And it, it was hard. It was hard. But, you know, I always had a, I always had a, 
a, a good work ethic, you know, uh, work hard, play hard was kind of my motto for forever and ever. But it kind of introduced me to entrepreneurship too, because me and the owner ran the business. Yeah. And, um, but you know, after so many years of that it was a great launching pad for me. It really was. I learned a lot. I had like 50 people who were working for me and they go, how does a punk kid like you get in a position like this? And I go, you know, work hard. I, um, I would say that that work hard ethic really came in high school when I played football for D Pancrats. Um, what high school did you go to? Bora. Oh, Bora High. Okay. Yeah. D Pancrats is, you know, my Lord, my Savior, my father, my father-in-law, <laughs> and my coach were the inspirations of my life. Okay. He, he had a work ethic. That's the reason Bora was just so good all the time. Yeah. I mean, we won state championships almost every year. Um, things have changed since then. Um, but, um, you know, work hard pays off. And, uh, I, I, uh, I had a lot of energy. So, um, so I was driven to work hard and a lot because of that coach, which inspired me. And, uh, so that's when I got, uh, and from there is kind of when I started to go, okay, I was buying and selling cars at the same time, you know, make 500 to a thousand dollars in a car. And, um, then the, the decision was, is this, the long-term place I want to be in retail. And I go, nah, it's not going to happen. So anyway, a guy I knew, he liked me. He liked my personality. He liked the way I looked. He goes, you'd be really successful at this business. So um, so while I was working there, I went out and studied. And it takes a while to get your license, you know, but you got to pass a lot of exams and everything else. So I did that. And I still hadn't graduated from college yet. Okay, right. back up a second, because at the time you you weren't going to go to University of Washington, so you bought a house and then you enrolled at Boise State. Boise State. Boise State. Yeah. And then what was your what was your major at the time? Finance. You know, okay. when I first started there, it was just general business. But now that I was getting into the finance business, I um, I wanted to get a finance degree, and math was always my best subject, so it coincided with that as well. So your dad. When you were growing up, was he like, look, Mac, don't, don't go out on your own. Like IBM, like find a stable company, work for that company for forever, have him pay the bills. Like, what was his advice to you? Did he ever sway you one way or the other? You know, he always told me that, that um, I was a very independent guy. And he says, I never worried about you. Hmm. Never worried about you. You always made good decisions. Um, and he didn't coach me. He said, um, do what you feel. Do so, what you want to do. So he wasn't saying you need to go get a job or you need to do X. Like that work ethic that you had is pretty remarkable. And, you know, usually parents are saying, hey, go get a job, go do this. And that's kind of where it starts. And just wondering if that was the case for you. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I had to pay for my own car. You know, mm -hmm. these days we buy cars for our kids. I'm guilty of that. <laughs> <laughs> um but, uh, no, I, I had to go out and make money to buy a car, um, bought a horse, had a horse <laughs> that I took care of as well. Um, and then high school, you know, uh, between football and all the other things, you know, I, high school was very fun for me. <laughs> I had a lot of fun. Between, Riding your horse. <laughs> uh, well, that was just, that was, the, by the time I got into high school, I had 
sold the horse. You're done with the horse. I was going to say, was, I just wanted to picture like Mac there riding his horse, playing football, to school. selling his cars. <laughs> yep. There you go. He's <laughs> like, I don't personally drive cars. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah. Well, I always had one or two of them all the time. And I'd, every six months, I'd drive it for a while yeah. and then sell it. You mm. know, but it was back then where you could buy and sell them pretty easily. I mean, they're so much easier to sell today with the internet and stuff, but just go out and market it and um, it just enjoy doing it. Um, one of those things that I guess led me to where I went, you know, but uh, yeah, deep Pancrats and football in high school was just, was a lot of fun. Um, so you just liked that he worked you guys pretty hard? Oh yeah. I mean, you're puking and throwing up after yeah. two days. You That's know? kind of the old school you football just did coach, it. right? You just did it. Oh yeah. That's where he, you run and you're, you're thirsty and they make you run until you're not thirsty anymore. Is um, that? <laughs> yeah. You, we'd have two gallons of water with us and we would drink that yeah. in that two hour session. So yeah, he just, uh, and, and, and if you, I had a bad game. I remember one day and, um, what position did you play Mac defensive back and I returned kicks and punts. Um, but, um, I had a bad game and, you know, Monday morning or Monday at noon, all the football players went into the film room to watch the game. And I go, God, I'm going to get chastised here. This is not going to be fun because he did. But, you know, afterwards he pulled me aside and he goes, Mac, I'm just trying to make you a better man. He goes, "Um, yeah, I punished you there, but I want you to learn from it. And, and I did. And I said, that'll never happen again. So it's just that work ethic, you know, handle failure the right way. Don't gloom over it. Let it be uh, new energy to make yourself better. So I would say every downfall I've had in life, I learned a lot from it. And I always tell people, I go, if you're faced with adversity, there's another door open there somewhere. Go find it. Whether it's a, you know, a family situation or something out there, um, there's always an opportunity. And uh, that's how I got up into Whitetail. We bought a house from a bank up there in the worst of times in 2008. So when you talk about tough times you've had in 2008, the Great Recession, you guys probably remember it, but you didn't have enough net worth to really. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we were there. For it to hurt. Yeah. Well, my business went from, you know, making me 50, 60 grand a month to writing checks. That's how bad it was. My net worth was just punished from my real estate to um, my stock assets. Um, But I remember one morning I got up in the middle of the night. I went out and prayed, said, God, help me through this. Give me the strength. And he did. And the next day I'm playing golf with a buddy and he goes, let's go take advantage of this opportunity. Go, let's do it. So couldn't afford to buy anything, but I managed to. We bought a home up in Whitetail. It was a it was a bank deal, and uh, we bought it for I don't know thirty cents on the dollar. It was a it was a great deal. Wow. Anyway, that parlayed into multiple real estate dealings yeah. that I did, and uh, it had we not gone through that slump and had that opportunity, I don't know if I'd have had that situation. You know, that's turned out to three or four million dollars in real estate yeah. profits just off off that adversity. So going back, so I want to back up again. So I think it's interesting that you're working at the far, the furniture store. Yeah, right. Right. And uh, you go from a warehouse all the way up to the top. 
You didn't think, hey, this is a really good career? Or did the owner say, Mac, I really want you to be a part of this for forever? I mean, what made you end up leaving that? Um, I think the hours in retail is, it, it, even though I was very successful at it, I didn't, I didn't thoroughly enjoy myself. You know, I, I needed something different. And, you know, I'm going to get a degree, and I don't want to be working in a furniture store. Um, I want to be something more professional. I still wanted to own a car dealership, and sometimes I still wish I would have done that. But uh, I took the other option and um, started in the business, and um, it thrived. It grew. Uh, it grew fast. Um, your financial, your stockbroker portion—is that what you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What firm did you work for? Uh, I started with a firm called Harper McLean. It's a regional firm out of Seattle, uh-huh. but then I went to uh, Prudential Securities. Um, they were, they were, they bought EF Hutton. So EF Hutton became Prudential. And uh, that's where I got, that's, that's really where I got started in the business. Do you, do you think you could have gotten like a Toyota dealership? Like, do you, looking back, I don't, I'm not sure the year it was that you say I wanted to start a car, but do you think you could have gotten one of those franchises or rights to sell one of those? I would have loved to own a Toyota dealership. Well, could, I just wonder back in the day, like, could you have gotten them? Because those are all pretty much. They're, yeah, they're, uh, I, I think they were a lot uh, more affordable back then, yes. But, um, and I didn't have the money. You know, so you a, were just thinking of doing a used car lot, like Main Street, like used cars, buying and um, auctions? I, I, I could have done that, yes. Um, but ultimately, um, Lyle Pearson that sells, you know, Porsches and what do they do? They don't, they don't do Audis. What else is, uh, Lexus? Um, Range, Range Rovers, Rovers, you know, those, those are the kind of cars I want. I oh, mean, if that, okay. if that was the business that I wanted to own, that would have been the one. Yeah. And I knew a guy that worked there. He wanted me to come work for him, but so how I had to have done it is probably worked in the business for a while and worked your way up. Yeah. Owner maybe wanted to sell someday. So you start buying ownership in it. And if I'd have taken that track, I'd own one of them, but um, didn't, but it was, it was an inspiration I had at the time. Mac McReynolds, Toyota, downtown Boise, right? I could hear the commercial. Mac Daddy's Toyota. Mac Daddy's <laughs> Toyota, <laughs> yeah. That's a lot better. Come get in a Mac Daddy. <laughs> Mac Daddy's Toyota, yeah. You got to sell trucks. Yeah. Don't you think? Every I mean, day, that's yeah. like a truck dealership. Well, that's awesome. So you get into stock, and you just said it just grew. You said you're on Wall. Did you actually were you actually on Wall Street, or is just like a company that was selling? Like it was a big stock. We just call it a Wall Street firm. Yeah. They right. were one of the big firms, right? So, like in what do they call them? The Big Eight or the Big Six in in accounting, right? Yeah. Just they just called the big Wall Street firm, right? But, Prudential was one of those, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, you were here. You're still in Boise, though. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Always, I, always in Boise. Um. Yeah. You know. Um. My current wife, Kim. She was with me the whole way. Uh, we we entertained the idea of possibly moving to a bigger city because in in this business you want a big population, right? But we were also, you know, we knew we were going to have kids, and we thought, do we want to raise kids in San Diego or Denver, or do we want to do it in Boise? And cost of living back then was way less than those two cities. I don't know if it is anymore, but. Right. Back then it was. So you might have not made as much money, but you would have still uh, net-net been fine. And I love Boise. I love the outdoors. Love to ski. Um, we just – and we had we had a large network of friends. That 
is what you kind of build on to build your business, you right. know? So, um, I just felt it was better to stay here and I'm glad I did. I love so, Boise. So what year do you think you started, um, you did finances and you went to Prudential. What year would you, about would you say you were in Prudential? You went to Prudential. Um, that was uh, 86, 87. 86, 87. So about 11, 10 to 11 years before you went off on your own. Uh, yeah. So did they have an office here? Because I know there's like JP Morgan's around and they it's just like one guy in there and representing uh, JP Morgan. I think it's JP Morgan. Anyway. No, we had like it's 20 producers. and In the office. Okay. Mm-hmm. So there was like a big office where you're there. Mm-hmm. And is it mostly like direct sales? Like, how do you find customers? You know, back then, you just cold called. It was just cold call, right? You just had a list, you got on the phone book? And you just went to events, you know? And one I started with was Boise State, you know, my alma mater. Um, Did a lot of events for them, whether it be in the BAA. I was in the coaches club. Mm -hmm. You meet people with money there. So you were looking for individuals with high net worth or what you were trying to get. I mean, I know you did both, uh, both businesses and individuals with high net worth. Uh, What would you... I mean, when you go to these events, are you looking for a business or are you just looking to rub shoulders, meet people? Um, I would say the latter. Yeah, just just meet people with money. You know, you yeah. sit down and have lunch with them and learn a little bit about them and find out if, if they have some needs that maybe you can help them with. Um, what would those needs be? Um, growing net worth. Okay, so like, okay, I have an okay amount of net worth and then you're going to come and say, well, but I, I'm more ambitious. That's an example, right? You'd be like, they would say, yeah, I got some money here. I just don't know what to do with it. I want to grow it. That, is that kind of how it works? Yeah. But growing net worth is accumulating assets as well as growing your existing assets. Sure. So that's what we managed. And uh, we set up plans for people, so put them on track. And some people like to see something in writing that shows them where they're going to be. Yeah. And so we would do that. But uh, I enjoyed managing assets. That's what I did. I still manage my own assets. I don't have anybody do it. I, I could, but I choose not to. Um I just enjoy the whole aspects of stocks and Wall Street, and it's painful sometimes. <laughs> but uh, like we've been through some pain here just recently. But right. uh, every time I've been in a tough situation, coming out of it, my net worth has taken taken on a new level. Right. Whether it be in my business because I took advantage of in the business and acquired more clients, or took advantage of opportunities that were there. So. Um, I, I guess if, if you'd say, you know, how, how did I build my net worth? I did it through opportunities when everybody was hiding, I was searching, you know? So I think most good businessmen are that way as well. You know, they look for opportunities, but got to deal with some pain along yeah. the way too, but, uh, pain can be good. So what? 10 years, you're at Prudential 11 years, and it seems like you were pretty happy. It seems like you were performing well. Yes. Um, now, Matt had asked before, you had the thoughts of, I need to go on my own. I need to do this on my own. Yeah, and I, and I said earlier, you know, my motivation there was to build a business to sell. Uh, and, because you read that book, Built to Sell, which yeah. I think I read, yeah. Yeah, and um, it just said, I told myself, I can't do that working for a firm. Mm-hmm. I need to own it. I need to own it entirely. When you work for a firm like that, they ultimately own the book. They have the control. You can sell it internally. You can sell it to somebody else, but you don't. You don't get nearly the value that you can if it's an independent. You know, as you know, the built to sell. You want to build a business that operates with or without you. Something you can walk away from, and it keeps on going. Right. And um, and that's what I did. And when I walked out of my office one day, 
didn't change a heartbeat. It just kept going. Your wife, Kim, when you were saying, hey, I really think I should go out and we may take a hit salary-wise, did she care? Or what was no, her? No, she trusted me. She was good. I mean, I know when um, when we had our second child, which is Jamie, that works for you, um, it was time to decide, okay, uh, do we want you to work or not? She didn't want to. She wanted, and it makes sense, you know. I mean, plus the, just the cost of sending kids to daycare and stuff. Yeah. So anyway, um, once again, motivation for me to to turn it up a notch. And, you know, I basically replaced her income with about six months because I just, I just worked harder, um, had to. And that was kind of a launching pad for me. That's when it really took off because, you know, now I'm raising a family. Now I really got to take off. So that's when the brain cells started churning. What do I got to do? What do I got to do? What do I got to do? And um, so that was motivation for me. That was in the 90s that you started, that you went out of on your own? Um, no, well, he said 97. Well, so I was still working for Prudential when when Kim stayed home. That's when I was working my own book oh, gotcha. and mm-hmm. building my own business within a firm. And um, that, uh, that that all happened pretty quick, but that was in the late 80s. So let's see. Um, well, Jamie was born in 91. So um, it was about in that time frame. Okay. There. And then in 97 is when we went independent. And that's when we started the firm. How about non-competes? I would have expected there to be a non because you have all these customers that you've worked with. Now, I would expect Prudential to say, we want to keep those customers. Or does that not exist in that? Um, no, no. Yeah, they, they do feel like they own it. But there's nothing that says. There's I, no contract. I couldn't take anything with me. Mm-hmm. I had to leave everything. But I also had contact information with all my clients. So it was easy to... A lot of them were saying, like, well, I want to go with you. That's who they trust. Yeah. They've been working with you. Yeah, I would yeah. say 95% of the clients came with us. Right. But it takes time. You just don't get that done right away. Right. I mean, when you have 150 clients, you got to track them all down and sign all the paperwork. And it's kind of a pain. You have to transfer everything over. And it's it's a lot of work. But um, it, it worked for me. And um, like I said, it was a scary moment there for a while. To, to walk away from a successful practice and say, see ya. <laughs> What's a percent? I mean, how much pay cut did you have? Like not numbers, but percentage wise, it's like a 80% gone. And then you had to build that back up. It was a hundred percent gone. hundred percent. gone. I right. was, I was making a good living then. Yeah. And, uh, I walked away from it entirely. Plus I had to put money into the business to, you know, from office space to furniture and, mm-hmm. All that stuff. I mean, it was six months of writing checks before I finally turned the corner. And, uh, but again, it, it was all worth it. It, uh, the, the partner that you started with, was he at Prudential as well? Or how did you know him? Yeah. Bob Rathbone. Yeah. He was there as well. Yeah. And you guys both at the same time? Decided yeah. We were both about the same age and, um, and, uh, both, you know, aggressively growing our business we were two of the top producers in the firm so when we left it was <laughs> it was not a happy day for for them yeah. but um yeah we had the same interests um we did a lot together we were friends as well as business partners um he was a good christian man like i wa- well, i am and so our ethics were all in the right direction as well so um but yeah that, and that that's that's when we went out and 
1997. Did you stay with your partner the whole time? Uh, yeah, Bob uh, retired before I did by a couple of years. So, and then part of his practice wanted to go out uh, into another direction. So my other partner, Mark Daly, we, that's when we started Perpetual Group. So, um, so we went through some transitions along the way, but, uh, I, yeah, mostly stayed with Bob. So we had an episode about, uh, partnerships. Yeah. And if you're on YouTube, you can check it out over here. Went that direction. It's going to be in the corner. Top left, top left corner. We'll link back to that. So we always think it's interesting. You know, we've, there's so many different stories with partnerships, good and bad. It sounds like you, you had some success or were successful in the partnerships that you were involved in. I mean, what was that experience like? I mean, were there any times where you thought, I can't be with this person anymore? I gotta, we got to sp- separate out that way? Uh, partnerships are tough. They're really tough. Uh, you know, you're working in the same office. You're, you're, you're together as a team. You, you know, your direction is all together, but sometimes you cross paths. And so, yeah, we had some rocky roads. And, um, and I think that's what led him and his group to go off on their own. They went a different direction. And I think it was the best thing that could happen. So it was a friendly divorce. But yeah, it, it ended up in divorce. Yeah. So yeah, it, it's, it's, it's tough. <laughs> it's really <laughs> tough. Yeah, we have a, a lot of feedback on partnerships because, you know, where you start typically isn't where you end, you know. No, but we learned a lot along the way. Yeah. And it all ended up good for us. We've all since built a successful businesses and we've all have since sold them, yeah. but we sold them to the people that grew up in the business. They're going to own it after we're paid off. They own it. So it was a good deal for them too. Good. So, so you recommend it. Let's say a new, there's a new financial advisor. He's opening his practice. He's trying to decide whether he partners with this guy or not. Would you say yes or no? Ooh, boy. Um, I, I would just say, you know, how well do you know that partner? You know, how comfortable are you with that partner? Have you had enough experience with that person? Because if you don't know that person very well and you want to join in the business and you go, okay, this, don't know this person very well, but hey, he's got some money to help build this business together. Maybe, maybe we can make it work. But man, I tell you, there's a lot to know about people, just like a marriage, right? You know, um, you learn a lot and we all have ups ups and downs with them, but you're kind of in a marriage with a partner married to him. <laughs> yeah. Looking back, would you, would you say you could have done it on your own just the same? Uh, yeah, I could have, you know, but at, at the time it, it made sense for us to do it together yeah. from an economic standpoint it made sense. And, you know, we trusted one another. So we had a successful period there. So there are, I, I don't ever look back and say, I shouldn't have done that. No, that's not true. I'm glad we did it. Yeah. We, I learned a lot from it. So so if you don't mind, take us through that. So you're growing. You're in the late 90s, uh, independently growing with the partner in, in your business there, and then the Great Recession hit, right, in 2007, 8, 9? Yeah. I mean, what was that like for your company? Um, probably one of the ugliest periods I've ever been through because it's – there's two things in our business, you know, a substantial portion of my net worth is in the business and in investments. And, and then your clients are taking a beating too. I mean, that was, 
I mean, I went through the 1987 stock market crash. I don't know if you guys remember that. That was market was down 24% in a day. Dropped about 35% in the month of October. But um, this one was just a grind and a grind and a grind. And it just, it was, it was so ugly. So in 87, it rebounded quicker? Yeah. Like within six months, it it had recovered. Um, But once again, I was still fairly young in the business and I just went out and Called everybody I could. Yeah. Said, people, this is a great time to buy. I was buying Albertson stock. Yeah. Let's buy Albertsons. Right? Everyone's on, everything's on sale. It, it was. Yeah. And you got to eat, right? Mm-hmm. So um, grocery stores aren't going out of business. But, yeah, that, that, was the, that, was, that was tough. And like I said earlier, you know, um, I remember getting down on my hands and knees and throwing up because it was so bad. I felt for my family. I felt for my clients. Um. You know, again, I was writing checks because I had employees to take care of, you know. They still needed a monthly check. <laughs> so, um, but, you know, everybody needs to go through one of those times to, to learn how to be tough and learn how to see the moment, see the opportunities. And if you go in with your eyes shut and you want to go crawl in a hole – well, so be it. But you know what? You're going to miss out. You're going to miss out on something. And I took advantage of it. And that's when we went out and bought some real estate. And um, business was slow to recover. That didn't happen quickly, but it did. And finally, by the time we got through that, you know, my business was back doing better than it ever had. So, um, yeah, I, that. So what did I learn from it? I learned um, that you don't walk away from those periods. You don't put your tail between your, your leg and, and, and cry about it, fix it, you know? So, um, I'm a fix it guy. So, um, yeah, I, I can't imagine you Mac, um, going through, just sitting here next to you. And, uh, for those just listening, I, I'm getting some, uh, Nick Saban vibes. I don't know if you guys get that as yes. well. Nick yeah. Saban's a, you know, you know who he is, football coach, right? Tough guy. Um, um, I have, at the gym I go to over in Park Center, uh-huh. there's guys there that call me coach. Yeah. You he look said, a little bit like Nick Saban. Yeah, he, I can he see said, that. yeah, you look like Saban. And, uh, yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, so I, I don't imagine you going through these tough times curled up in the fetal position on the floor crying. You, you did say, you know, you're on your hands and knees throwing up. Uh, I don't imagine you saying, we can't make it through this. Was it something where you just said, we, we've just, I've got to be tough. I've just got to grit my teeth and we'll get through this. Or, or what were those feelings like? Uh, well, they were tough, you know, but uh, God and I had a lot of conversations back then. And uh, I think the message there was, um, you can sit here and cry about it. Or you can get your butt up and go to work and, Take advantage of the opportunities. And um, and I did. I don't really, I would not wish that on anybody to go through unless you can learn from it. And if you can, then so be it. I'd preach all my friends and, and family. They have a tough situation. Um, my advice to them is, well, where's that door that's going to open? What, what can we find out there that, that can make this an opportunity. And there always is. I don't have the answer what it is for a lot of people, but there is. 
And if they get deep within themselves, they'll find it. Yeah. And there'll be there'll be an opportunity there. I think it's tough for the the financial advisors that were near the end of their career when that time hit. Right. right? That's, that's yeah. Because you know, Max still had a number of years, decade plus, to still kind of rebuild that back. But man, if you're thinking about retiring in 07 and that hits, you know, now you gotta wait it out another five or six years, oh, however long that is. It, it was horrible for everybody. And we, you know, we retired a lot of clients along the way. That's what they had us for. And, uh, man, during that period of time, again, the pain came because of my clients too. You know, I had a vested interest in them and I felt their pain. And, um, and a lot of them were at retirement. So, you know, our theory was, uh, you can't time the market, so don't try to time them. Just maybe make some adjustments along the way, but, um, you got to write these things out. And, and again, had everybody wrote it out and not done anything stupid along the way, um, it all worked out. Mm-hmm. And always has, always will. But you got to have that faith, too. And I tell you what, when you're down and out like that, how long is this going to take? You know, how much more pain do I have to go through here? But um, it's like all pain. When you look back on it, it's not so bad. It's like pregnancy, right? You know, you go through a lot of pain. I guess us yep. guys don't know we that. I, I, can say, I can say right, but yeah, I've never <laughs> been through it. Yeah, but once you get through it, you know, you forget all that pain. Yeah. So um, I just look at it. Uh, that was that was my opportunity. So yeah, the pain was there, but it's all worth it now. Yeah. So you have a couple kids, three. When you were raising your kids, did you ever were you grooming any of them to join you in the family company, the family business? And yeah, my oldest, my oldest Ross, he did an internship while I was going to college yeah. with us, and um, he uh, he went through. He saw that pain through that. 07 period I think he came on with me 08 so when he graduated from high school in 07 so I think it was 08 that he was with me and he saw that pain he goes oh my gosh I don't think I can do this bad Um, timing on his part yeah I mean I mean you you are holding hands and dealing with pain all day long from all your clients and uh so yeah he was there for a while but he uh his interest wasn't high enough so I said that's fine so gave him the opportunity but he was the only one that really had enough interest in it to pursue that. So, um, but no, I would have loved to have done that. Yeah. You have to be pretty invested in it. If you're coming in in 08. Yes. Like you have to want to do it. Like you said, I can't imagine. Like, it's not just like, it sucks for him. It sucks for his business. But then every single day, his appointments, your calls are probably all like, I don't know what I'm going to do now. Yeah. Like I'm planning on retiring here. I don't have enough money now. Yeah. What am I going to do now? And you're just like, I Sorry. Yeah. Can't well, control you know, the, the, the answer is, is that I, I can't tell you when things turn around, but they always have right. and they always will. Um, you got to be patient. Right. You know, um, I have a lot of Macisms, but one is, is um, you have to have patience. And you also have to patience with faith. And you have to have faith to have patience. It's a circle. I mean, you know, so in, in my times of, of toughness, you know, I got a message that said, just be patient, just be patient and work out. But then you have to have the faith to have that patience and have patience with your faith, right? God takes you through some turmoil sometimes. He's doing it so you learn from it. And so 
Uh, I don't want to go through any more pain, um, but I will. We all will. Just, but, uh, you know, wrap your hands around it and say, how can this make me better? Yeah. So you're, you're growing, and so you kind of come out of it. I don't know if you split partnerships prior to that Great Recessions or you started Perpetua before then. Um, let's see. That was, uh, yeah, we, we, uh, no, we were, we were firm. We had Rathbone, it was Rathbone, McReynolds and Daly. Okay. So all and that was partners, Perpetua? That became Perpetua oh, okay. eventually. Um, when, when we separated from Rathbone, Daly and I, we started this new business and we called it the Perpetua Group. Oh, gotcha. And then I think just 10 years later. Is when you ended up retiring, is that? Uh, yeah, about. Let's see. Um, yeah, I've, I mean, officially, when I, let's see, I was 58 years old, and we're in a conference room with uh, partners, employees, and uh, it just hit me that day. You know, I think I'm ready to retire. And every, it just everybody was floored. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> but we already had the paperwork in place. So we all know what had to happen. I mean, you have to build when you have a partnership like this, you have to have ways out, right? And so that happened in, uh, let's see, that was uh, 2018, 2019. So, yeah, it was about 10 years. So 37 years in the financial advising industry. Pretty much all I really ever did as a professional. (laughs) That's a lot of experience. Uh, Looking back, a couple of questions. Uh, Would you do anything different? Besides starting up a car company or a car dealership, um, yeah, I I I look back on that and said, "Gosh, that's something I wished I I would have done." Because then you talk about a business that you could your whole family could be in. Mm-hmm. You know, I could have had them all in there. You know, at some position or another. I just love cars. You know, um, you know, I have a classic Porsche. I have a nine eleven. You know, I just I love cars and. So if I could have done something different, um, that would have been it, probably. Yeah, I still look back and I go, gosh darn, we should have done that. Because <laughs> a car dealership today is worth oh, lots of money. Yeah, That's a different world, though. I mean, you're financial advising, you're, you're going to events, but you're typically an eight to five. And then selling cars, you're That's all retail. day. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you're going to have employees, but yeah, still, it's, it's retail. Yeah, but, you know, uh, with my book, Built to Sell, I'd have built that thing so I didn't have to be there every sure. day. You, know, <laughs> you followed so, the plan. Yeah. yeah. So that, that's that's what I would have done. But, yeah, later in the years, the, my business, just, it operated on its own. Yeah. I didn't. Um, I was there as a figurehead, but it, it ran on its own. I always have a pet peeve of de- de- when I go to a dealership and you're buying a car and you're buying, you're looking at a new car and they're like, look, we don't make any money on a new car. In fact, we lose money is what they say. And you're like, okay, there is hundreds of new cars here. You're not me like losing money on these new cars, but anyway. Well, I would know. Let's ask him. Would um, you know, some cars they only make five hundred to thousand dollars, but you know, if they sell volume, you know, the 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 rebate that they get, they again. get money back right. from their whether it's GM or Toyota, whoever does. So they'll they'll make money on those, and really the profit center for dealerships is their service sure, department. Right. Yeah. yeah, they come in. So they, from what I and this isn't the conversation, but it's like they make a couple bucks on a new sale service. They can get some money on the loan, some insurance. 
Oh, yeah. And then the rebate, right? So they're making Extended warranties. Yeah. You know, all that stuff. Yeah. I just always thought, if you're losing money on these cars, then why do you have hundreds of them all over? Oh, it's, <laughs> like, it's a loss leader, though, right? Yeah, it's a loss. They're just I using don't it think as a, so, right? I, well, okay, I mean, if it, they're losing it, it, money, right? They're just using it to sell yeah, other products, like the really service thing. center. And, yeah. I thought it's just a sales ploy to get my wife. and be like, okay, we'll buy it. <laughs> we want to make sure you're good. Does it work? Uh, feel bad uh, for him. Yeah, it has worked the okay, last couple well, of times. So, I mean, I guess I should tip my hat to him. Well, the problem in car business right now, you just can't get cars. Right. You know? I mean, the lots the are starting to fill up a little bit now, but oh my gosh. Um, so I'd always drive by Dennis Dillon because that's our way to Hillcrest and they had no trucks on that lot. Yeah, there was yeah. nothing there. Right. So you talk about it, the demand was there, but you had nothing to sell. Right? Yeah, that's so right. That's got to be frustrating. That would be a tough time in the automobile business. Right. Yeah. They did pretty well during it though. So uh, Mac, Mac Daddy. Mac Daddy investing financial advising the whole time now how much cryptocurrency plays into your there you go. investment portfolio zero zero percent <laughs> okay that's what i expected none is, is that by design i mean is that um well first of all i never really, uh, even understood what you know cryptocurrency is it's yeah. it's an electronic form of money and right. transfers um but uh you know where are we where is this useful I mean, it is a common currency that everybody could use. So at some point, everybody just trades in cryptocurrency. So if you, through your business operation, you know, you make your payments in crypto. I mean, I, I saw the long-term aspects of it, but the volatility of it. Why would you, why would you want, I mean, when I have a dollar, I know what it's worth. When I have a, a cryptocurrency, I don't know whether it's going to be $60,000 or $30,000. And it literally did a 60 to 30 here recently. Yeah, in eight months. I think yeah. it's at 16 right It's now, at 16. Right? It went from 60 yeah. to 16. So. Yeah. Yeah. So is who wants to own that? Oh, I me. mean, who wants to be part of that? <laughs> who does own that? Yeah. There'll be trading opportunities. And <laughs> sure. the, the business who manufacture the stuff that makes it happen, um, all the building blocks and stuff that make crypto work, you know, those are, those are companies that – Build something to make it work. If so, if you really thought crypto is going to be a future, you buy something like that, like right. Coinbase or Riot Blockchain, or um, but and toyed around a little bit with those. But no, um, I've always been told if you don't understand the business, don't invest into right. it. Right? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So your percentages of portfolio does it remain? You said a third, a third, a third. I think is what you said before. In my own assets, and yeah. in your own assets, yeah. And I encourage all my kids and everybody build build a business, own something. So third it. business, third investments, and third real estate. Yep. Is that right? Yeah. There's the advice everyone heard from. It it worked it worked well for me. Yeah. You know, so um, right now, you know, so I, I sold my business. So over time, my value in that has gone down, but I don't have to use any of my other assets either. Right. But, uh, um, yeah, I, you know, um, Otherwise, you just have to rely on your other assets if you don't own a business. So own something to sell. Um, would encourage everybody to do that. But um, not everybody can. Not, a, not everybody has the patience yeah. <laughs> to be an owner of a business, to take the goods and the bads with it, the times that you're not making any money to the times you're making lots of money. So um, I don't think everybody's built to do that yeah we've had the discussion here before um uh, some people have said everyone should start their own business i think it was your professor i think that said that 
how do you feel about that? Do you feel like everyone should at some point, whether they stick with it or not, do you think everyone should at some point start their own business? I would certainly encourage it. Um, but some people aren't good businessmen or person. They, they're not going to be good at it. Um, but it sure as heck, give it a try. You know learning I mean? experience. Um, I would highly encourage it, but uh, not everybody's suited for it. Sure. And they just, they, they, they can't deal with the pain. They can't deal with employees. They can't deal with the fluctuations of your business. I mean, you've, it's, it's, it's tough, but, um, you know, it worked out for me. Mac, would you have any advice to people, to someone coming out of college, looking to follow in your footsteps, what they should do? Um, as, as in my business, encourage them to go into my business? Just any, if they're looking to start their own business or even going into financial or what, what advice you'd have on somebody looking to go down a similar path? Well, you know, first of all, I get what their interest is. Number one, um, are you able to go out and get business? Are you the kind of person that can knock on somebody's door, go, um, social with people and are do you have the ability to say uh i want to manage your money um some people can't do that i mean brandon you build a business you had to ask for business right um you have people out there asking for business all day long right um some people are not built to do that so number one you have to be able to do that but i was just always interested in business and I had a finance degree. Initially, I was going to be like an accountant because that was so I understood balance sheets. I understood businesses. I love to learn about businesses. And I still do it. I spend a couple hours a day just researching new companies, decide whether I want to own them or not, or just find out what they're doing. So it's a way to be able to buy and sell businesses and learn about them. That's what we do. I mean, it's in the form of a stock. But you're owning businesses. You have ownership. It's one of those things. Got to own something. Well, stocks ownership, real estate's ownership, owning your own businesses ownership. So um, if if they're really if they really like the sense of owning businesses, uh, recommending them to clients, if that really is a buzz for them, um, then it's a great business to be in. It is. Um, you have no, no limit. I mean, there are a lot of people who have done extremely well in that business and, uh, way more than me in a lot of cases, you know, but, um, anyway, yeah. Um, yeah, I'd encourage him, but I, but I want to know, I'd, I'd, I'd want to coach him up a little bit to find out if that's really the right thing to do. I've done that probably 20 times with people. Cause we always had interns we had young people come in and, and we'd sit down and talk and find out what their interest was. Um, only a handful of them end up going into business though, you know, so, um, they got to see what we did on a daily basis. You know, they were in the office, they got to observe and some bit, some bought into it and some said, no, this is not for me. So, um, it's a small population. That would probably be that, but um, I would highly encourage it if if they knew what they were doing. But I would give them on the path to be independent right off the bat. You know? Oh, really? Yeah, I'd That's say right. just yeah. go go right there. Why um, start over? Right. Right. Yeah, but back then that wasn't 
I mean, when you went with a big firm, they trained you, they right. did everything for you. That sounds hard without, I mean, if you don't know anything, that seems hard without having some training as an employee. Yeah. Yeah. You got, you got to learn from somebody. Mm-hmm. And so, um, the best way to probably start is start with a senior person that's very successful in the business and try to eventually acquire that business. Mm-hmm. Um, that's probably the best way for a young person to get started. But, um, so what I did, I mean, people were retiring all along the way and I just ended up taking some over some of their clients and they just hung in there with them and, um, the business grows, but it's, it's a five to 10 year journey yeah. before it really pays off. Mm-hmm. So you got to have a time horizon there too, but doesn't any business. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. So what's up next for you, Mac? I mean, you're retired. What, uh, what's on your, what are a couple items on your bucket list? Um, well, so when I, uh, I, I took my office into my home a little bit early cause I wanted these guys, the, the firm, all the people that were working for me, I don't want them to know what it's like without me there. Um, but I, uh, I had a two year consulting agreement, um, and I still have a non-compete. So yeah, I, I can't compete with them. So I'm not going back into the business and don't care to, I mean, I've been there, done that. Um, so the first two years was COVID. I mean, when I when I stepped out of the office, that's when COVID hit. I mean, I was already prepped. I was already working in the office, so I didn't have to change anything. But uh, it limited what you could do to travel, right? So is traveling one of those things I want to do? Yeah, we did some stuff, but, you know, it was, it was limited. But um, I have a bucket list of things to do, like an L.A. Rams game at SoFi. Uh, went to an Alabama LSU game last year. That was a that was a great experience. Did anybody call you coach? Yeah, you should have dressed up, <laughs> like him, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's the autographs. Go the to the sideline. Um, no, but uh, yeah, I I have been accused of, of Nick Saban. I had somebody walk up to me uh, in a restaurant one time, and they said, "Coach." I go, "What?" Yeah. <laughs> coach Saban. Yeah. And they go, no, I know it's not you. I know it's not Saban, but man, you look awful. Yeah, like Saban. That's a good guy to look like, right? Yeah, not bad. Yeah. Successful, doing successful. Well. Yeah. yeah, good guy. Yeah, yeah. Talk about a guy who's going through some ups and downs too. Yeah, you know, every coach, right? But <laughs> has to go through that. But they eat that stuff up. I mean, I coached all my kids. Had some very successful tournament teams. I loved it. But man, it's it, there's ups and downs yeah. with that right, as well. Right. Yeah. Awesome. Anything else, gentlemen? It's been that was great. great. It's been really great, Mac. Thanks for coming on. Um, yeah, I just so uh, a couple, you know, Macisms. Just tell a quick story. So my grandfather, we had uh, four generations playing golf: my son, myself, my dad, and my grandpa. And you know, he was in his nineties. Um, I think he was close to ninety-five at the time. He had this thing that every time he hit the ball, he'd only hit it about a hundred yards or so, and it was about a foot off the ground, right? And he'd walk off the tee box and says, it is what it is. He did it every time. And we were just cracking up every time. But you think about those words, it is what it is. It really has some deep meanings, you know, meaning I can't do anything about it. So accept it for what it is. It is what it is. My kids even got me a little plaque that says it is what it is. I use it with them all the time. I go, you know what? Can you fix it? Can you do anything? Well, it is what it is. You know, deal with it. Um, work hard, play hard. That was a motto of mine. I always believed in that. And I did, uh, when I say play, I mean, we just, we did a lot, you know, 
like cycling. Shoot, I've cycled all over the country um, on different rides. Um, and, you know, between skiing and, you know, all the other things we do. But um, anyway, those are just a uh, uh, couple of things I've always had a motto to say. I always, I always come up with them and can't think of some of the other great ones I had. But um, they're uh, good things to have. Good things to have. Yeah, good models to live by for sure. Thank you for joining us again this week. Uh, if you want to find you guys, I hope somebody learned something from this. <laughs> oh, I'm sure they will. Absolutely. Yeah. So Mike has an incredible story. If you would like to reach out to him, you can contact us. Uh, otherwise, thanks for listening in. Just like that. Thanks for listening to the Founders Podcast. Be sure to follow the host on Twitter. Search at Jord B. Hansen and at Brandon Minot to discuss more. Also, be sure to visit thefounderspod.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover our fantastic bonus content.